Hi, and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today's a little unusual. I'm alone in App Studio One with engineer John and our colleagues Holly Swan and Sharmini Radhakrishnan are calling in from our offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Holly is a sociologist and implementation scientist with expertise in criminal justice and behavioral health. She's directed several mixed methods evaluations of practices and initiatives within the justice system. Sharmini is an economist specializing in quantitative research methods for health and criminal justice. She's analyzed and validated risk assessment tools used by federal and state criminal justice agencies. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Holly, I came to you with an idea for this podcast because I'd read about the challenges of applying AI and machine learning to the justice system sentencing procedures, but you said there are potential applications throughout the justice system. Can you tell us what we're trying to solve for with these technologies? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I think, you know, the idea of artificial intelligence and machine learning as applied to criminal justice is relatively new, although the problems that it's trying to solve are pretty old. <laughs> um, so... Thinking about the justice system as a continuum, there's sort of many points along the way from you know, pre-trial all the way through re-entry after somebody serves time um, onto community supervision even, where decisions need to be made. And um, at each of the, those decision points, there's a possibility that bias gets introduced into those decisions um, based on a variety of factors. So I think you know, the use of standardized tools and assessments is something that is currently occurring in the criminal justice system, and the idea of using technology to help make these decisions more objective um, and try to reduce the bias that goes into decision-making is sort of what the appeal is um, around sort of using data science. I think um, there are some risks to it as well that we'll probably get into today, um, but that's sort of the overall thinking around this idea. Got it. And so, Sharmini, do you want to talk a little bit about what technologies and approaches we might want to take to address, you know, both these concerns and the and the benefits of these technologies? Sure. I'll start off talking about what what a risk assessment is a little bit more, and and then we can you know talk about some of the challenges of using them. So, a risk assessment is a tool that uses an algorithm to predict an individual's risk of reoffending. And um, that risk prediction is used at different points in the criminal justice system to inform, you know, it could be the sentence that they receive or the supervision conditions that someone um, is, you know, receives when they're coming out of prison. So risk assessments are a tool that use an algorithm to predict an individual's risk of reoffending. And that, that risk prediction um, that's generated by the assessment is used to... Um, you know, at various points in the criminal justice system to either inform the sentence that someone receives or, you know, the supervision conditions that someone might get when they're released from prison. And, um, you know, it's typically not the only thing that's, that's influencing, you know, the sentence or the supervision conditions, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a factor. Um, increasingly, I think in most um, agencies, um, some type of assessment is being used. Um, and the types of factors that get included in these models are things like criminal history, education, employment, um, substance use, anti-social behavior, and um, pro-criminal attitudes. 
So the way these tools are developed is that um, the developer starts with some sample of individuals that, like, you know, ideally represents the target population that you're trying to um, assess. And by, sorry, and by target population, what do we mean in this context? How are we how are we define that? Um, so, so for example, if it's um, people who are being released from prison and going out into okay. the community, then they would start with a sample of of, um, of um, individuals like this. Great. And then they, they essentially apply a predictive model to these individuals where the predictors are the factors that I just mentioned, criminal history and various other things. So the stronger um, the predictor, predictor is, a greater, uh, the greater the weight that it gets assigned in this algorithm. And so, so that's how these tools are developed. Um, a challenge with these assessments, of course, is that they're developed using data and the data, you know, data on criminal history reflects not just, you know, the individual's behaviors and choices, but also decisions made by police officers, uh, prosecutors, and judges. And so um, to the extent that there is some bias in those decisions, the data will reflect that bias. And of course, the algorithm then replicates that bias because the algorithm is only as good as the data underlying it. So that's kind of, um, I'd say, the main challenge that's been um, the, with risk assessments that I think has been highlighted a lot recently in the media. So that uh, seems to be the key issue. We're trying to combat biases, like the idea that the, the, the technology and, and the data, rather, really can help us look past biases, but the, the struggle is to remove the biases from the data in the first place, right, from that sample. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And I think um, just to, you know, to put things in context, and, and really, Holly already mentioned this. Like before, risk assessments were used. Um, you know, the agencies were relying really on, you know, almost purely subjective judgments from, you know, law enforcement officers and judges. And so, the intention of risk assessment is really to, in, you know, to introduce a, a standardized approach um, to reduce bias or ideally remove bias. But, you know, as, as you've said, it's um, the data itself does reflect that bias. We're trying to correct for bias, but what is the what is the effect and impact of bias? You know, why do we need to correct for it? I guess let's answer that question, and um, and then talk about how do we so so what are we doing to to address these challenges? Agency officials are trying to figure out where to devote their resources and trying to figure out how best to both administer justice, but also you know prevent future recidivism, criminal activity, and and keep the communities safe. And so. Um, and then, in addition to that, we have this, you know, new problem of mass incarceration, and we're trying to reduce the number of people in prison who maybe don't need to be. And so, one of the the ideas is that by eliminating bias, we can, um, you know, administer justice more fairly, but then also, um, you know, reduce the prison population by keeping people in the community who maybe don't need to be incarcerated. Um, I think also the idea of risk assessment in particular, so there's a, a framework in criminal justice, the Risk Needs and Responsivity Framework, or R&R for short, um, which basically says you should focus your resources on the highest people at the highest risk for failing on supervision or for committing new crimes. Um, and, of course, there's bias that goes into that as well. You know, we have assumptions about who might be, um, you know, more likely to, 
recidivator or to com commit criminal crimes. And by reducing those biases and instead formulating it again on something more objective, um, criminal history or other criminogenic thinking type of things um, that are evidence-based, then you know those decisions are are more appropriate for making decisions to focus on those people, focus re resources on those people. Right. Okay. Great. And so, what are we doing to help get to that point? To help sort of sanitize that data or, or uh, level those perspectives? What are we doing? Or what can we do? So, one thing that App does um, is we do independent validations of risk assessments. Um, I think that is one of the most important things that has to be done with respect to risk assessments is, um, so what a validation study is, is it assesses the accuracy of the instrument by comparing the predicted risk to the actual outcomes that we would observe in those in the individuals um, who are given the assessment. And, and I think independent validation studies that are done by a third party that is not affiliated with the developer of the instrument and not affiliated with uh, the agency that is administering the instrument is really important, and APT has done those studies both for federal agencies and for state agencies. And and we did, with these assessments, you know, you look at the accuracy of the tool, and you can look at subgroups as well to the extent that you have a large enough sample to see how these error rates look like for the overall, um, you know, population, and also. Um, for different the different subgroups that you're interested in, um, I'd say that's I think the biggest thing. But also, you know, we've seen in our work where we do some qualitative research as well. Um, you know, the implementation of these tools is really important, and get you know having the staff get the right training to be able to use the tools correctly is also really important. And that you know, it's, I think training and retraining, regular retraining is is really important to make sure they're actually, you know, record using the tool as intended. Yeah, and I'll just reiterate that a little bit. I think so in addition to validating tools that agencies are developing for their specific agencies or, or populations, you know, there are existing actuarial risk assessments out there that have been demonstrated to have some validity already. And so that next step of getting those implemented and getting them used appropriately is is really important rather than sort of reinventing the wheel with new new tools. Maybe we could figure out, you know, okay, does the application of this tool in this context work? So that's what I was going to ask. What what are the next steps? We sort of know what the process is or what we need to do to make these tools more effective. What do we do about doing and getting them implemented so we can have you know that that more balanced approach to the justice system? Um, I think what, you know, some of the things we've mentioned are really like ongoing things that need to happen regularly. But I think aside from that, I would say, you know, getting stakeholder input at the time that any tool is, is implemented is, is really important because sometimes these tools are developed, um, you know, by a company that is in a, in a different location and the sample they've built, used to build the tool is a very different sample from the target population that a criminal justice agency is using, you know, in another part of the country. There, there may be just aspects of the tool that don't always translate. And so their officers, whoever is administering, it may just not be, you know, using it correctly for that reason. Sometimes the wording of the questions are, they may not really be uh, understanding it and then like respond, you know, recording the answers accurately. And so, you know, getting that input 
um, again, this all goes back to implementation, how important implementation is. It's really, you know, important and that regular retraining, I think. And I'll add, in addition to training on using the tool, I think training in capturing data and quality, the importance of quality data for this, um, both in term and quality data and reliably captured data that's consistently collected um, in order to to be used appropriately. And I think a challenge there that agencies face and something, another area that I think sort of machine learning and, and AI can help with um, is a lot of agencies collect data through case notes. And so it's just written text um, and not discrete fields that maybe can be input into a statistical program, for example, to make predictions. And so something that, you know, machine learning and, and different technologies can use to take that, all that body of narrative text and turn it into some sort of discrete um, categories would be a, a way to move the field forward, I think. Very cool. And that's, that's stuff that app does, isn't it? It sure is. Mm -hmm. We have a great team that, that works on that. That seems like a great place to end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Eric. And thank you for joining us at The Intercept. 